2024, an election year like no other. From the candidates to the issues, from voter integrity and analysis, we'll discuss debates, trends, patterns, election laws, and more. This is Vote 2024, Path to the Polls. And now there are two, Trump and Haley. And the question is, with Ron DeSantis out of the race, can Nikki Haley capitalize and gain his supporters? And who benefits when all is said and done? Will Trump triumph again and ultimately be the last one standing? Or will Nikki Haley bring about an upset? Welcome to Vote 2024, Path to the Polls. I'm Bruce Hamilton, and joining me, a familiar face to News for Jack's viewers, News for Jack's political analyst and the head of the Jacksonville University Public Policy Institute, Rick Mullaney. Rick, good to have you here. Good morning, Bruce, and great to be with you. So actually, the polls opened at midnight at Dixville Notch in New Hampshire, and it was a landslide for Nikki Haley. <laughs> they had six votes. All six went to her, which is probably indicative of nothing at this point. No, but it's a good start. It is a good start. So let's talk about what's going on. The electorate in the Granite State has a more moderate makeup than did Iowa. Uh, you know, the Iowa was a, a caucus. What's happening in New Hampshire, it's a primary. So the electorate has a much different attitude. How is all this going to play when all's said and done? It's important to understand the differences. Iowa and New Hampshire are fundamentally different fundamentally different in their approaches to the election and fundamentally different in their constituencies. In Iowa, it was a much more evangelical, socially conservative base. In New Hampshire, um, it's very, very different. Not only is it not a caucus, it's an open primary, meaning that, of course, that those independent voters can vote. 40% of the electorate in New Hampshire are independents, and they can vote in either the Democratic or Republican primary, and many leaning towards that Republican primary. In addition to the difference, it's more college-educated uh, in, in New Hampshire, and as you mentioned earlier, those independent votes, plus it's, they've had a history of surprises in the past. We've seen it in 2008 with Hillary Clinton and John McCain, and they've been a better bellwether as to who gets the nomination in the future. So different caucus versus open primary, socially conservative more working class uh, versus more independent and college educated, two very fundamentally different states. But I'll say this, New Hampshire is critically important and maybe the one that is of greatest interest in this primary season on the Republican side. You know, so all that said, it's very interesting because a couple of weeks ago, Nikki Haley, if you looked at the polls, had actually narrowed the gap with Donald Trump and came within single digits. And then after Ron DeSantis dropped out, Donald Trump actually widened the gap a little bit. This is the kind of thing that Donald Trump just salivates for, the kind of contest. Well, it is. A couple things, Bruce. First of all, Donald Trump has never minded a crowded field. In 2016, he had a crowded field because he has a loyal base that he can always go to. That was true in 2016. In, tw in 2023 and in 2024, this started off last year with 14 Republican opponents, but Donald Trump again had that very solid base. And now it's down to two. And what he's salivating over is the possibility of ending this early. And Donald Trump believes, and he, he thinks, that with a big win in, in New Hampshire today, he can actually bring this to a conclusion. And quite frankly, he may be right. So for Donald Trump, He's actually a better candidate in 2024 than he was in 2016. He's more organized, his campaign is better, and he's bringing the Republicans to coalesce. And you've seen him roll out in fairly systematic fashion key endorsements, whether it was Governor DeSantis, whether it was Tim Scott, whether it was Vivek Ramaswamy. All three of them were on the debate stage not that long ago opposing him. Now they're on board. So it's Nikki Haley versus Donald Trump. Nikki Haley's getting what she wants, which is a one-on-one -on -one contest. And of all the states in the country for Nikki Haley to try to succeed, 
New Hampshire is the one that sets up best for her, although she's down in the polling. And even Ron DeSantis, who up until just a couple of weeks ago was his biggest nemesis, turned around and endorsed him. That may be a sign that the GOP leadership is saying, you know what, we need to wrap this up and stand in solidarity against everybody else and make Donald Trump the GOP nominee at this get-go. So the point for Trump right now is I've got to go ahead and outmaneuver Nikki Haley in, in, in uh, New Hampshire and bring an end to all of this. And I will say this, you saw this with Marco Rubio coming on board here a couple weeks ago. You've seen it with Rick Scott. You've seen it with Lindsey Graham. You've seen it with, with uh, Senator Scott, Scott from, um, uh, Tim, from, Scott. from Tim Scott from uh, South Carolina. And of course with Governor DeSantis. But I'll say this, Bruce, as much about coalition, coalescing, it's also about winning, getting on the bandwagon for who they think is the eventual winner. And for Governor DeSantis, an eye towards 2028. He's young, he's talented, this certainly didn't go the way he had hoped, but he also wants to be on the right side of history as far as he's concerned, and on the right side of that base of the Trump, of, of that Trump electorate, because as he looks to 2028, 20, he's gonna need them. So for the Trump forces, there has been this coalescing. For Nikki Haley, she represents, it's down to her. He, he would need Donald Trump, he would need the GOP leadership. And, and let me ask you, because that said, does he just go back to being governor of Florida? Does he stump for Trump? Does he look for a position perhaps in the Trump cabinet? I don't think he'd want to be VP, but he could be something else in the Trump cabinet. Well, I think the first order of business for him is to be successful as Florida governor. He's got, he's got three years left, and he has a supermajority of Republicans in the legislature. And one of his strengths, and I think he began to find his footing in the later debates. He was actually a better candidate in debate four and in debate five, and he began to find his footing. And what he would turn to is the, the Florida story. He had a good story to tell in Florida, a booming economy, people coming to Florida, crime lower. He had a, lo a lot of things to talk about when it came to Florida. So now he comes back with that supermajority and Florida will be the first order of business. The next part is the relationship with Donald Trump and how does that heal? When he, became, when he was running for governor, there is no doubt that Donald Trump's endorsement is what propelled him to being governor. And Governor DeSantis would candidly admit that, that is what happened. But when Governor DeSantis ran, there created a fracture, and by the way, tension between him, not only Donald Trump, but Donald Trump's team. So now that he's come on board, everybody wants to come together and be unified against Joe Biden. They also want to be unified for the future. We'll have to see how that plays out, but Governor DeSantis never rule out the possibility of something in the future when it comes to the Trump administration. We'll have to see how that relationship heals over time. All right, so Nikki Haley in her final message to voters in New Hampshire last night, she basically said, you know what? I am the better candidate to beat Joe Biden. Do you think she has done an adequate job in motivating the voter base there to try and get into her camp? It's really hard to say whether she's motivated them enough. And by the way, when she says she's the better Trump, better person to beat um, uh, Joe Biden, she's not just speaking theoretic theoretically. The polling suggests that. The polling suggests you've had some polls showing her up by 13 points over Joe Biden. You've had some showing her 17 points over Joe Biden. Uh, that Nikki Haley, and I think the Democrats recognize, that Nikki Haley would be very, very formidable. And Bruce, in the closing days, she sharpened the contrast with Donald Trump. She's been stronger on the attack. She's ruled out vice president. But she's also been clear that she is the better candidate in her view and in the view of many to take on Donald Trump. The problem, I mean, to take on Joe Biden. The problem, of course, is what's happened is New Hampshire. And she has to do well today. This is a state that she needs 
to win, and that's going to be difficult for her to win. Uh, she's got credentials as a two-term governor. She was UN ambassador. She was a Tea Party governor when she, when she was a governor of South Carolina, booming economy in South Carolina. She makes a very compelling case, but she's up against a very difficult and formidable Donald Trump. If she doesn't win but has a strong showing, will South Carolina matter? Bruce, that is the question so much of the country is talking about, and many believe that she has to win in New Hampshire. And even with a win in New Hampshire, she's got a difficult road ahead. If she doesn't win, many are going to take a look at what is the margin of victory. If Donald Trump wins by 15 points or more, many believe this is the end of the primary and Donald Trump will wrap this up early. If she's in that 10 to 15 percent range, she may have a conversation. If she's single digits, She's got to try to convince donors and others to stick with her. And then as she looks to, New, uh, to South Carolina 30 days later, her own state, there's that prospect of potentially losing in your own state. She's down by 30 points in South Carolina. Already two senators and the governor have lined up against her and endorsed Donald Trump. This all comes back to something very fundamental, which is today is a big day for Nikki Haley. New Hampshire is a big state for Nikki Haley. She really does need to win. And if she loses, she needs to be within shouting distance, and that means single digits. Okay, so if you listen to Nikki Haley, her rhetoric is, I've always been against the odds. I've always gone ahead and done what I needed to do. Do you think that she'd be realistic? Is what she's been saying just politics? And at one point she goes, all right, push has come to shove. It's time for me to step back. Do you think that the GOP leadership would put the pressure on her to step back at some point? Well, if she's looking historically, she gives an accurate description of what's happened in the past. But this is her first time. Uh, versus Donald Trump, and it's going to be very, very difficult. She's in the right state for that because New Hampshire does have a history of surprises. It does have a ha history of independence. It does have a, of being independent in its voting. And as I mentioned earlier, look to John McCain, look to Hillary Clinton, look to Gary Hart, look to others historic, look to Eugene McCarthy back in 1960. There are lots of back, yeah. there are lots of examples in New Hampshire of New Hampshire surprises. But she really needs one. And Donald Trump is formidable. As I mentioned earlier, he's a better candidate in 2024 than he was in 2016 when it comes to the Republican base. The polling, and you mentioned this earlier, Bruce, there was a time when she had narrowed the gap. It appears that Donald Trump has gotten a bump out of Iowa. It was a very big victory in Iowa. It also appears that these endorsements have been carefully laid out. And if you're lock looking at the tracking, he's leading by either 11 to 19 points to where going into today. It would be a big surprise for her to pull this off, but she needs to pull it off if she wants to really make this a competitive race. Do the issues matter? And I ask that because in Iowa, if you talk to the electorate and you believe what the pollsters said, immigration was the biggest issue there. In New Hampshire, I've got to believe that it might be something like the economy and other things that are, you know, th that have greater bearing. You know, it's interesting, Bruce. I think in New Hampshire, their view of some of these issues might be a little bit different, such as they're, more, they're not as socially conservative. They're not as evangelical. So on abortion, they may be in a little bit of a different place. But in terms of priorities, what's interesting in this race is that immigration emerged as a top issue in Iowa. According to the polling and discussion, discussions, it's also emerging as the top issue in New Hampshire, which is interesting because neither one is a border state. But when you have 10 to 12,000 illegal immigrants entering per day in the United States, six to seven million from three years ago have entered in the United States, this is an issue that is gaining prominence. So in New Hampshire, immigration really is a big issue. So is inflation and the economy. But on some of those social issues, they may not be quite in the same place as, let's say, an Iowa voter, and quite frankly, not in the same place 
as a South Carolina voter, voter, which brings up the challenge for Nikki Haley. Even if she wins in New Hampshire, she'll be going to a much more evangelical, socially conservative uh, state when she goes to her home state. And there's the prospect, not one that you like very much if you're the former governor, of losing big in your home state. She needs a big win, she needs momentum, she needs donations, and then she needs to try to pull off another upset in South Carolina. All right, so there's a GOP political pollster, his name is Whit Ayers, and he said the entire issue is more fundamental. The entire GOP is defined by their attitude toward Donald Trump. Do you want to stay with him or go with someone different? Is what happens going forward in this primary really that simple? You know, Bruce, I'm not so sure. In the past, there has been this for Donald Trump base that was for him no matter what. No matter what, about 35 to 40 percent with Donald Trump, no matter what. And 2016, at least, there was a group, maybe 35 to 40 percent, that was against Donald Trump, kind of almost no matter what, at least on the Republican side. But they were fractured. They were with different candidates. So it was Donald Trump as a monolith, and everybody had to fight for the remainder, which is sort of what happened here and a little bit of one of the strategic problems, I think, for Governor DeSantis. When he chose to go to the right of Donald Trump, it was unsuccessful for a number of reasons. He miscalculated the loyalty of those Trump voters. But what he also did was fractured the non-Trump vote. There are those people, as he talked about, that aren't in the Trump camp, but then you have multiple candidates fighting over them. Now it's coalesced, it's a one-on-one -on -one situation, but the timing for Donald Trump is pretty good in that he now has momentum coming out of Iowa. He's gotten these endorsements. He's on a bit of a roll. It, according to the polling, he should win in New Hampshire. For Nikki Haley, she got what she wants. She wanted to be the alternative. She also got the state where she has the best chance, New Hampshire. The timing may not be the best, but as we looked at today, if she's going to have the funding to go forward, if this is going to be a competitive race, it comes down to Nikki Haley. She really needs to win today. But if not, she needs to be within shouting distance. Right. Now, there's something else. It hasn't gotten as much play here in Florida as it has perhaps in New England and some other places. The Democratic national machine decided not to put Joe Biden on the ballot. And that created a whole big firestorm. In the grand scheme of things, big mistake? Bruce, hard to say. Um, from a delegate standpoint, it's not going to matter because no delegates are going to be awarded on the Democratic side. In terms of the nomination, it may not matter. It does, really won't matter because if Joe Biden wants it, it's going to be his nomination. However, keep an eye on this today. Joe Biden is a writing candidate. We'll have to see Dean Phillips, who's invisible largely but speaks really well. Uh, Congressman from Minnesota uh, is on that ballot. 21 people are on the ballot, actually. It could be a potential get some profile, a bit of an embarrassment. It'll be interesting to see what happens on the Democratic side today, because remember, Joe Biden is not on the ballot, 21 candidates are. He made a decision that he wanted to start in South Carolina for lots of reasons. Last time, in 2020, South Carolina was the difference maker. That's what made his campaign. He came in fifth in 2020 in New Hampshire. So he wanted to start in South Carolina, but make no mistake, New Hampshire takes pride in their first in the nation primary. It's been that way for decades. They want to maintain that on the Republican and Democratic side. They did not stand down when asked, don't be first. They went ahead and they're going as first. So politically, a little bit awkward for Joe Biden and his campaign. But in the end, I don't think it's going to have consequence in terms of delegates or him getting the nomination. All right, so let's look at the primary calendar. You've got Nevada at the beginning of February, and I think, uh, I think it's the Virgin Islands. But South Carolina doesn't happen until February 23rd or something like that. That's right. And then you've got uh, the nation's capital. You've got Super Tuesday. Is the rest of the primary calendar academic if Trump pulls it out now? 
Well, if you mean by now, you means today. If you're talking about New Hampshire, uh, it de may depend on the margin. If Trump has a blowout win today, then there's a very good possibility that that's going to be moot. I mean, it really is. Nikki Haley's going to run out of funding and donors to support her effort. If Nikki Haley were to win today, uh, she still would have a big challenge ahead, but this might go on to, as you said, South Carolina uh, on February 24th. But it's still daunting for her. She's down 30 points there. So today is important. And that's her home state. It's her home state. And, uh, and as governor, of course, she and the two senators that she was, uh, have both uh, supported Donald Trump and endorsed Donald Trump. So... Bruce, it, it depends. A lot of it is coming down to a very important primary, which is the New Hampshire primary. That is today. Let me ask you about something else that actually I probably should have told you beforehand. But uh, Joe Manchin, yes. uh, there's some speculation that he might start a third party. He says no, but he wants to move Joe Biden a little more toward the center. Do you think he might have any success in getting Biden's ear in knowing what lies ahead? Should it be another Trump-Biden matchup? Well, you know, Bruce, it's not just idle chatter about wanting to start a third-party run. The No Labels campaign is pretty significant. It's been a big effort since 2010. It's been in place for over a decade. They now have been, been positioning themselves and getting themselves on the ballot in a number of states, 15 to 20 states. And Joe, Man Joe Manchin is mentioned prominently as a potential candidate for No Labels. Uh, a third-party candidacy, of course, is long odds against that being successful. So to your question, can he leverage those long odds and that possibility to get some concessions? Maybe. In part because the Joe Biden campaign is afraid of a third party run because they believe it hurts their candidacy. And even if they were to get some electoral votes, you all, the potential of throwing this into the House of Representatives if nobody can get a majority such as 270. And at the moment, that means Republican legislatures, each state gets one vote, and you go to the Republican delegate, you go to the delegations in each state, Republicans currently have a majority there. So a third party run historically, no, very little chance of succeeding, but third party runs do impact act elections. They can affect the outcome of an election. And I think the Biden campaign is concerned about a no labels run by uh, Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin would be popular for many. And it gives an alternative to those, those Republican voters who don't want to vote for, for Donald Trump, and they may hold their nose in their view to vote for Joe Biden. If that's the alternative, they might go with Joe Manchin. The Biden campaign is concerned about that. So Joe Manchin does have a little bit of leverage here. Let me ask you about Congress, too. You know, the, the terms Democrat and Republican, they don't mean what they used to. We have the least productive Congress in recent history. John Rutherford, I think it was last week, basically said, you know what? To those politicians who are right of right, it's time to move more toward the center. To those who are left of left, it's time to move a little bit. And it's time for us to get something done. Is there something to be said for that? Because I don't think this Congress has really accomplished very much. Uh, two points. First, there's a lot to be said for that. Second, it's unlikely to happen. But what you've seen, particularly over the last decade, and this is conversation with Donald Trump, is the Republican Party having a makeover. It is a very different party. It is evolving. It is much more populist. It's the populist wing of the Republican Party. And a lot of that is Donald Trump. It's less ideological in some sense. It's not, it's not the Reagan Republican of, of national defense, less spending, smaller government. Instead, it's more populist in nature, less ideological. And, it, and it's more entrenched. And on the Democratic side, you're seeing a, a sh those shifts going on in the, de in the Democratic side also. And the challenge has been, in the way we 
we've drafted up and created districts throughout the country is that on the red and blue sides, there's no penalty to, be, to play by being extremist. You get reelected regardless because of the advantage you have in that home district. This fracture in Congress is significant. We just averted a shutdown recently because of it. We'll see if we avert one in the future. But your overriding point of a Congress that is challenged to accomplish anything is a good one, Bruce. And so there have been dramatic changes in Congress. Both parties are shifting, but certainly the divide is greater than it ever was. There used to be the sense of compromise between right and left, Reagan and Tip O'Neill's classic. You could see it with Bill Clinton and Newt Gingrich. A lot of give and take in the past. Today, that's very, very challenged critically important to get this right for the future of the country. I think it's really a difficult thing. That, that fractured divide is real. We've seen it on display with the ouster of McCarthy uh, in the House. We've seen it on display in a potential government shutdown and on issue after issue. Talk about potential running mates. Donald Trump said, I've got an idea who I want. I think you know who it is. You have any ideas? Well, you've seen some people um, uh, auditioning for it. Certainly, I, I don't think it'll be Ramaswamy. And it w I do not think so. No, uh, you, you have your governor from North Dakota. Of course, he's prominently being mentioned. You've got uh, Stefanik from New York who's being mentioned. There are some others that are that are being considered. He says he's 25% sure uh, this will be. Uh, you know, they'll they'll make the most strategic pick. But in the end, he also says it doesn't matter that much. And I tend to think there's a lot of truth to that. But in the VP sweepstakes, uh, stay tuned. There'll be a lot of people auditioning for that role. Could it be Nikki Haley? I don't think so. I didn't think so either. I don't think so. And for Joe Biden, does Kamala Harris stay on the ticket? Or might it be a strategic move to put Gavin Newsom on the ticket? Let me give you the short answer. Yes, on Kamala Harris. She's going to stay on the ticket. That's, that's, you, you can expect that that's going to be the case. All right. So when all is said and done tonight, do we just leave it lie? Or do you care to take a look into the future? Do you mean is it over tonight? Yes. It all depends on the margin. If Nikki Haley wins tonight, it's not over. If Nikki Haley is within shouting distance in single digits, there will be a conversation, particularly with her donors. If it's a big Trump win, the odds favor that this is over. And if historically, I don't know of a single case in which a candidate has won Iowa and New Hampshire and not gotten the nomination. Historically, that is the case. If you win both of those, you're the nominee. If there's a big win for Donald Trump tonight, this very well could be over. And Nikki Haley would have a hard time funding a future campaign in this race. He knows I tried to put him on the spot, but he's too smart. <laughs> he answered the way I absolutely knew he would. So tomorrow, the headline's going to be one of two things. It's either Trump triumphs or Haley upsets. Time will tell. Rick, well, as always, a pleasure. And you are back, actually, on the morning show tomorrow morning at 7.15. So... You'll be discussing one of those two things. Looking forward to it, Bruce. As always, appreciate it. And he'll be back here on this streaming program. We're going to be talking about some of the issues, too, in the near future. I always appreciate your expertise and what you bring to the table. Thank you, Bruce. Uh, and a reminder, if you didn't catch this whole show, you want to watch it in the future or share it with your friends, it's streaming on demand on the News for Jax YouTube channel, News for Jax Plus, and NewsforJax.com. Have a great day. See why every day more people are choosing News 4 Jax, Northeast Florida and South Georgia's number one source for local news.